Hello, welcome to Circuit Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor, and I'm Mike Wade. Mike, we're on the eve of LDI at this point. We're just a couple of weeks away from heading down to Vegas, huh? Uh, I think so. I think so. How has yeah. it been so long? How has it been so long? <laughs> Things got a little crazy this summer, as summers happen to do. And we kind of came back and looked at our notes here, and we we had big plans back in June for what we were going to talk about. <laughs> and I think most of these, luckily, after reviewing them, most of these topics still kind of make sense, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they do. They do. So first, we we're going to mention just that um, way back when in uh, June, we participated in a Reddit AMA on the uh, Tech Theater Reddit. Um, I think that's from like June twenty seventh. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you just head on over to the Reddit uh, Tech Theater, the Tech Theater Reddit, you'll find us on the right hand side there. They got a list of all the AMAs, and uh, it was a pretty fun time. Uh, Pete and I hung out on the AMA for a few hours, or a couple hours at least, uh, answered a bunch of questions from uh, folks around the country, actually some from across the Atlantic, uh, over in Europe, were participating as well. And it was really great to, I don't know, kind of funny to think of it as being almost like a virtual, uh, kind of like a virtual trade show booth in that sense. That got a lot of those same kinds of questions, people just kind of popping in and having one or two key points that they've been thinking about and wanted to ask and uh, got a chance to do that. It was great, honestly. Yeah. Fun way to interact with people. It's a, it's it's always. I'm not. I, Mike, are you a big Reddit user normally? I am not. <clears throat> I am not. And and unfortunately, I missed that one because I was just back from. I was just back from some wacky adventure. <laughs> right. Which we'll get to a little later. Yeah. Which but... is our next topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not usually a big Reddit person either. Pete's big on the Reddit. Uh, he likes to. He gets a lot of his news and. and keeping up with current stuff through Reddit. Um, I'm more of a Twitter guy myself, but, um, but it was cool. Nonetheless, kind of a fun way to uh, interact with people where they want to. We see a lot of folks on Facebook and some folks on Twitter, and we got to give a little love to the Reddit people this time. So if you're interested, you can at least go back and read the transcript and see what, see what was done. All right. Um, the Pushstick V2. We got a couple of stories about the Pushstick V2. <laughs> yes, 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 we do. Um, well, you know, we had, I think we had mentioned this before. For we had the we had the V2 out on this crazy kinetic art sculpture project, yeah. which was um, which I think I have dubbed the uh, the abuse trial testing <clears throat> for all of our equipment, and I think a pretty solid standard. Yeah. Um, this uh, this project was running six days a week, about eight hours a day, <clears throat> pretty yeah. constantly and um, uh, pretty consistently. We had three of our V2s out there, um, right? And um, and they were they were they were doing really well. They never broke down. Yeah. Um, over over that, and you know, I think that <clears throat> this is probably the closest we've gotten to uh, maybe not ever, but. Very close to the top of of actually reaching the duty cycle of the motors or the gearboxes that we use. Right. Um, and uh, and then uh, as they were as they were loading the the project out of the <clears throat> out of the uh, the space here in New York City, I went over and and took a look at what was going on, and they had some very weird um, some very weird cable rubbing issues on the drum. Yeah. And um and we had you know, it was it just didn't it was hard to make a lot of sense as to what what was going on other than the cable was actually rubbing and it was pretty clear that it was rubbing cuz the cable was cr- crazy fatigued. I mean, yeah. broken 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 down wire rope like I had never seen, like many many strands broken. Um Yeah. Yeah, and they said the they line. were getting something like a week and a half or two weeks out of a out of the cable before they had to replace the cable. Yeah. Just, just, oh my God. And they're oh running gosh. a lot. They're running a lot under high tension and high speed because they're all the pushstick V2s on that rig are running at 72 inches per second um, as opposed to, you know, as they're oversped, they're running at 120 hertz. Um, so high speed, high force, 
etc. But still, crazy cable wear. Um, yeah. And so this was with Killstress Designs. They were the, the the leads on the project, and they suspected from the outset that the, there was something off with our um, pulley placement, right? On the coming off the drum, going into the first set of diverters. Yeah, they were they were pretty sure that we were that we were off by. I don't know, it was like a half an inch in the wrong direction or something, right? It was like we were like one whole wrap wrong or something in the um, incorrect in the placement of the pulley on one of the pulleys. And we started we started down the road of trying to figure out what was going on and then did a little bit of drawing and a little bit of modeling. And after after several passes from from both the fine folks at Killstress and you and me, uh, what did you end up doing, Gareth? You just walked out on the shop floor with some tie line, right? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that, is, that is where I ended up because we were kept modeling this stuff and coming up with kind of weird results, contradictory weird results. And uh, so eventually, right, I just grabbed, <laughs> as is my way, I grabbed some tie line and headed out to the shop floor and wrapped around the drum and kind of mocked up the pulleys to look at what we should be doing. And and then we figured out that, you know, sometimes, it, at least for me, because I'm not very bright, it takes that that physical step of like holding it in your hands to see, Oh, we have a big picture problem about what we're modeling on the computer. Like we're, we're missing it by a bit. And so I think Killstress was missing a wrap in their, in their model. Like they had the way the yeah. drum wraps, they were off by one whole wrap uh, in the model they were doing. And in the drawings that I was trying to do that we were struggling with, um, we were basically pitching kind of the wrong way off the drum, if you will. When, so to describe the problem as best we can without <laughs> on a podcast. Without tie line and a drum. Without tie line and a witch drum. <laughs> um, if you imagine the helix of the drum uh, winding its way across, up the drum, these are vertical, vertically oriented drums. As you're winding your way up the drum, you eventually have to come off and go to the first pulley. And if you imagine basically coming to the halfway point on the drum, and then shooting straight to the pulley, that is how we originally laid out the, the cables. So that um, you'd basically come to the 90, say, the 90 degree mark on the drum and then shoot straight. But if you imagine that helix, like, it, it, like when you're driving around a parking garage, right? You're driving up the helix of a parking garage and you go up, 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 up. You really, if you're going to launch off the top of that parking garage, um, you would be going off at a an upward trajectory and so you've got to follow that angle of the parking garage ramp to hit your pulley and similarly if you're winding down the drum on the other cable you're going to be shooting down and actually if you map those two the up ramp and down ramp out as you pass the front edge of the drum you're going to be going at it that's going to be your datum where you're actually equidistant that would be your dead nuts at the same height vertically and then the further you get from the drum those angles start to diverge and, and split apart um so what we found was what our original <laughs> our original design um basically had a, a half wrap difference in height because we were thinking well on one side of the drum will be a half wrap off of the other if we're coming down and going up the parking garage and then we'll just shoot straight out uh, onto the side street if you will following the parking garage analogy and then um, but in reality, we should have we should have been much much closer. It's only like a sixteenth of an inch difference in vertical height between the two pulleys is what is required if we follow those ramp angles. So. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it would it took me it took me the physical walking into the shop one day when I came up and <clears throat> and putting the rope on the drum and pulling it across because I. I, I couldn't get behind the idea. I, yeah, I you were like, you yeah. are just lying through your teeth, Connor. <laughs> You're like, there's no way that's right. <laughs> Who's high in this room? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's on the booze again. <laughs> Somebody get this guy away from the CAD screen. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, too, no. bad it, too bad it didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I had the same problem when I was first looking at it. Like, I... Yeah exactly the same reaction you're like no 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 no. i know i mentally know how this is going to pan out and then i'm going to draw something to support my ideal right (laughs) as opposed to like oh that's not what the 
That is not reality. So <laughs> looking at it in the flesh was instructive. Right? It's very helpful. Yeah, very helpful. But anyway, I'm glad that we figured that out. And, you know, I think in the end, and we, you know, in the end, we're, I don't think anybody is ever really going to see the, that sort of, uh, you know, there will be very few people who see that sort of uh, use and abuse right. um, of the machines. So, right. And it, I mean, in the end, what it means is that you get slightly premature, or not slightly in this case, but in normal use, <laughs> you'd see slightly premature cable wear. Um, and because the pulley basically needs to be cheated up like another 16th of an inch. Um, but we're not like, you know, all of the other shows we've done with the winches up until the, the, uh, kinetic sculpture, we've never seen any problems with them because they, you just typically don't run that often and you don't run that hard on, you know, a normal deck track. Um, so suffice it to say we, you know, all of the, we've made that design change. And so any, you know, all the new push stick V2s all have that um, a closer gap between the the two uh, diverter pulleys. Um, so, and all of our updated all of the rental inventory, and then obviously <laughs> updated all of the all of Killstress's uh, push sticks as well. So, yeah, always yeah. fun. New machines are always fun. Get to yeah, find, new find all the little quirks, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What could be better? Yeah. And and speaking of. <laughs> and speaking of. So there was a, you took a little trip, a, a little journey to go I, sort out some push stick stuff, right? I did. I did. A couple uh, in June, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> as right. It, as it turns out, a very long time ago. Right. Although, so where did, what was the show? <laughs> the show was a production of Dream Girls that... Uh, that was started here in the States and did it was two or three stops here in the States and then went to Tokyo oh, uh, and was okay. going to Tokyo for two weeks of performance. Um, and, uh, and everything, it was, again, that we worked with Killstress on this one. Uh, Killstress was the, <clears throat> was actually our customer, I guess, our customer who they were the tech supervisors. Um, and, um, we had a lot of, there was a lot of excitement. There were two big, uh, full stage track tracking led walls that were like 19 foot tall by six foot or five foot wide. Um, and so we, we built this, um, <clears throat> pretty robust frame with giant casters to house bolt two of our V twos into that we flew with a chain hoist. Um, and so, it was like, I don't know, probably a thousand pounds worth of <laughs> machine right. hanging up over your head at the end of this truss track. Uh, and then used our, our favorite uh, heavy duty and quiet track, the cargo XL track from Garrett's uh, to, um, to move these panels left and right across the deck. And we were moving them fast. Um, these were up in like 45 or 50 inches a second or something like that. Um, yeah oversped oversped by i think about 50 percent um and um the whole process was was wild in trying to figure out what the led panels were what the weight capacities were how we were going to integrate some you know hanging frame into into the bumper assembly and uh it was quite a process um because the led walls had to fly and track right that was part of the kicker uh, two of them, two of them only tracked, and one of them flew. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. once the so once the uh, once the tracking LED the tracking LED panels didn't have to move and show. No, they didn't have to fly and show. They did not fly and show. They only left and right across, gotcha. uh, and and they were they were a pretty integral part of the blocking and getting <clears throat> uh, getting the cast on and off stage, um, and you know creating this visual picture. Um, and, uh, and so they had in the States, they had, we, we gave them a, I think we gave them a spotlight as well to do the, um, the flying panel, which was a similar size, 19 or so feet high by five or so feet wide. And, um, as a counterweight assist in one venue, we did it as a counterweight assist in another venue. We sent them a, a dancer wheel encoder and they, and, plug that into the stage hand, but they manually operated the lift line uh, in the counterweight system because we couldn't get the spot line in place or something along those lines. Um, 
Uh, but we managed to, you know, tease the um, <clears throat> uh, to fake it enough so that Spike Mark could get position information because, of course, these are LED panels. And so what happens with LED panels and video? Everybody wants right. it to track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they never did it the same way twice, I guess, was part of the moral of that story, right? Like that each venue was a little a little different on the... Each venue was a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, but, you know, but they seem to be doing well and they seem to be getting everything together and, you know, <clears throat> no real known huge complaints or, or worries. And, um, and then they sent the show to, uh, to Tokyo and, you know, and that was months after we sent that thing out the first time, or I guess like, you know, eight weeks, yeah, 10 weeks, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then one day, <laughs> one Saturday afternoon, we got a phone call and they were like, Hey, something's wrong. Uh, what do you mean? Something's wrong. Yeah. I remember I was, uh, in a, I was having dinner with my family at the restaurant and I got a call from Killstress and said, yeah, we're having some issues with the, over in Tokyo. We're trying to sort it out. And it was from the get go. I was like, yeah, are we going to, if we're going to need to send somebody, we should start talking about this. Right. Cause it, <laughs> And like, nah, I think I think we can work it out. We'll send some, you know, do some tech support <laughs> remotely, et cetera. And so you get it, you know. So you took over, obviously, at that point. And yeah. What was, so the, what was their issue? Like, what was the problem they were having? Uh, well, we were, you know, as in as in every stressful situation, <clears throat> uh, it's sometimes really challenging to get to get to the root of what is actually the problem. Yeah. Um. And um. And, uh, they were, we were, we were trying to sort through whether or not the, whether the cable had actually just jumped off the drum, had it wrapped around the drum, had the drum shifted. Because um, the symptom was noisy, right? Like they would run this thing and they were like, it's just making God awful noise. Like we're trying to, try, yeah. Yeah. God awful noise coming from the trick line or from the, uh, push stick rather. Yeah. And we, you know, and. And it was uh, it was tough to get. You know, we were very far away. <laughs> yeah, multiple time zones, right? So it's and, like they they have some questions, we give them some answers, and then another twenty four hours passes. And how did that yeah. work out? Not so good. It's not in so trouble. Well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Sunday morning, I was standing outside of uh, a swim class for my daughter as I'm on the phone trying to talk <laughs> to the talk to the tech at you know whatever time it was, like midnight on Saturday for him, and. Um, and things were clearly not going very well. Um, and then, uh, and by by Sunday around, I don't know, early afternoon, the nice folks from Killstress were, I don't know, I think on their way to London. So this was getting easier to, <laughs> yes. to figure out. Um, and um, and sometime, sometime, I guess, like Sunday evening around dinner, I think you and I were talking, and we we're like, eh, uh, I think I, I think I just have to buy a plane ticket. And I, right. think I have to get on a plane like tomorrow morning. <laughs> right. You got to get to Tokyo. I think this isn't getting better. Yeah. Because and, it, um, the, the odd report that we were getting back was that the 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 drum the on the Pushstick V2, or actually the the drum, the entire motor carriage um, was dropping, dropping as it was moving, and the whole motor carriage, you know, is on linear rails, and it has a lead screw um, that makes it track for zero fleet. And, you know, and we're like, it's dropping? And like, yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, it'll drop like inches or something. Am yeah, I? it was several wraps at a time. Right. And it's like, man, what is, you know, what is the, what is going on? Like, what happened? You know, and, and I we, can't really, I can't carry on another one of those winches. You know? like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and we were thinking like, well, isn't it just the drum maybe slipping? Because maybe the drum has loosened up and it's got... It's got set screws and shaft collars, and maybe those have loosened, and they're like, no, 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 the whole thing's dropping. We're like, yeah. all right, well, maybe the lead screw has worn out, it's mis misaligned, et cetera, et cetera. And so, <laughs> so, like you said, you couldn't, can't carry a, a winch drum on, or a, no, a winch onto the plane. So we're like, well, we'll I get can all carry most of the parts. <laughs> most of the parts. Most of the critical <laughs> parts that we're talking about that could have worn out. And so yeah. it's that, it was a Saturday or Sunday, something? Sunday. Sunday. I go to the shop and start collecting parts, some of which we had available, some of which we had to pull Take out of other machines. machines. <laughs> and, and I'm in, uh, 
and you're I'm in, in New York, and we're you're in New York. I'm in Rhode Island. Island. Stuff to get to me. I'm like, well, I can get on the train, and can you drive? <laughs> we're, we're gonna meet in Connecticut. It will like at, you know two trains opposite directions. Get off, hand over the briefcase of weird winch parts on the platform. What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see something, say something, Gareth. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, and then uh, Bill. God bless him. I said, you know, maybe Bill will drive everything down. Like, he's a young lad. He's always looking to make an extra buck. Maybe he <laughs> could just drive everything down. So he, I leave the shop at, I don't know, maybe 4 o'clock in the afternoon, pretty early. And I leave, like, this package of parts. And and Bill is, was at the beach, but he's, like, heading back. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll come grab the parts. And I'll bring them down to Mike. I'm like, great. No problem. Sounds good. <laughs> so, so so he's gonna try, he comes to the shop god knows what time i don't know but he's he picks up the parts and then heads down to brooklyn with like a half dead phone battery and no map or anything yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> the next morning i checked my phone and i hadn't heard it <laughs> through the night <laughs> there's this, this one message from bill on my phone he's like oh it's uh it's bill it's like 11 o'clock um i'm at a bar in brooklyn <laughs> i can't find mike's house i don't have his number i don't have my phone's dead <laughs> like oh no oh crap because the random bar in brooklyn didn't make it through my do not disturb him <laughs> my cell phone <laughs> Yeah, so it was, uh it was it was it was like man it's nope oh mike i lost you uh-oh nope now you're back ah so anyway so yeah uh, so the it's getting late like, what happened to bill oh my gosh and no answer and i tried calling him i tried texting him nothing 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 and then finally i get a text message from him hey my phone died i don't have a map i'm charging it at a bar it was like oh <laughs> oh god <laughs> what what bar are you at can i just come and meet you <laughs> i think he got to my apartment at like twelve thirty in the morning uh with you know about a hundred pounds of tools and hardware <laughs> um and uh and you know got everything and and then i got on a plane the following morning uh to tokyo which was uh which was a very interesting week. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Yeah, when I got there, uh when I arrived, we went from the airport and straight in to the theater. Uh no no stopping anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> um right. and they had uh they had pulled the machines down, the the winches down as I had mentioned, they're in this big frame attached to this end of the truss with the track hanging through. So they had pulled the the machines down and we're looking at them trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, there was a lot of panic and a lot of people were were very concerned about what was going on, whether it was the <clears throat> the the touring crew or it was the local crew. And then there were producers who were involved. And so it was um, it it was definitely a, uh, a high stress, high stress, because this was unfortunately for them also not the only problem they were having. It was uh, they were having some technical problems on the you know, all, all phases of the game, as it were. Like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. didn't, and none of that really came to light until after I had arrived, um, yeah. which kind of explained quite a bit of the how that process came around. But, um, yeah. but on the plus side to this, after you know, I we got to the theater, we worked through, we swapped out the, even though the lead screw ultimately didn't really look very worn elite screw or the nut we swapped it out anyway because we were there and we could take the machine apart and you know you just traveled a yeah. few thousand miles with a lead screw in your bag and damn it i'm putting it in <laughs> yeah, yeah this absolutely. Thing in. it is not i don't care where it's going <laughs> right <laughs> exactly um, find a spot yeah yeah and and for anybody out there who's thinking about trying to do this without actually taking the machine apart <clears throat> ever again uh i i just wouldn't recommend it uh, <laughs> it's not fun no it involves it involved screwdrivers and nut drivers and two by fours and mallets and uh some nice some nice uh japanese stagehands with shoulders who were holding these things it was 
it was pretty impressive. If I had not been elbow deep in it, I really wish I had had a picture. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but so we we busted through and actually got um, got the machine that was misbehaving. We replaced the replaced the lead screw, the drive shaft. We got everything in. We tested it. All was working. Seemed pretty good. We got it up in the air. Ran the panels. Everything seems great. We went home feeling pretty excited and happy and, <clears throat> you know, accomplished and um, got in the next day. Things were still working pretty well. Um, and then by the by about three quarters of the way through the through that first performance on that day, it started the winch started making noise again. It started yeah. making the same grinding noise. We're like, man, what is going on? And, you know, it, and just, you know, then then, of course, uh, then that did not help anybody's. Um, yeah, it doesn't ratchet down the tension. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> no, no, nobody no. feels better when the, the same problem exists. Yeah, no, no, especially when we had solved it, but only for a little bit of time. Right. Um, and then through a whole host of wrapping around and coming back around, and we finally, we finally didn't. You know, we finally got back. Got back up in a genie, <laughs> sticking my head into this into this thing, and I'm looking in as I'm watching this go, and out of all of it. What looks like happened, as you mentioned at the beginning, this drum, the drum alignment is really held in place with ultimately with a uh, with a shaft collar at the bottom of the drum. And what what I think happened is probably the the whole assembly of push stick and cart and everything got dropped off a truck or dropped off the C container or the C container got dropped and just all that force shoved the drum down. Uh, which then got it out of alignment. And then as we come back around to it from a whole series of panic and an unfamiliarity, I think, with the with the mechanics from yeah. the from the touring crew that was overlooked as <clears throat> as a possibility uh, diving into diving into much, much harder, <laughs> much harder solutions, which didn't ultimately uh, yeah, which weren't fixing the problem. Yeah, in the end, like you, drum had to be scooched back up a little bit and then retighten the shaft collar. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, just, and that's... which was unfortunately like where we started. But yeah. again, through like the with the difference in time zone, the kind of difference in you know yeah. the language and you know the, the, the even in this ever connected age, right, of emails and texts and everything, somehow that communication gap still is is very live and present, yeah. you know, and uh, in the end, it was just exactly what it sounded like. It was the, it's like that old saying, right? It's like when you hear, when you hear hooves, think horse, not zebra, right? Like it was, <laughs> it was exactly what we thought it was to begin with. It just uh, couldn't quite get the, the message across. And, it, and by that point, you know, tensions, high on the show with all, you know, across the video problems, lighting problems, sound problems, and now they're having automation problems. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, in the end, it was as much political as technical to get the, uh, of a fix, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's good that we got there and it's good that we yeah. got it because once it was, once we had actually addressed that, then we also addressed a couple of other, couple other little usability issues that they had, uh, there was ultimately cable tension on these panels and how to <clears throat> uh, how to make sure the cables are tensioned so that yep. they would, you know, so we could have some accuracy and keep the noise down in the machine and all those. Um, and then and then because I was there and we had it working, we also had a little bit of time to do some fine tuning with some of the video, um, right. the video tracking through the through our UDP output. Uh, because they were running into some problems with that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and, yeah. And it's so often the case, right? It's like ultimately, I think it would have been it would have been great if the production had spent a little bit of money up front to have some have some tech on site. And uh, it's always hard. It's a hard conversation, right? Because people, everybody's budget is constrained, and uh, <laughs> you know, you think, ah, forget it. We'll we'll be all right. But yeah. and and they were all right. Just it could have been better. Um, yeah, it could have been better. A little bit more, a little bit more help up front. But, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to see, we got to see Japan, or at least the inside of a hotel in Japan. <laughs> I did inside of a hotel and inside of the Orb Theater. It was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I can't say enough about that. Run the the crew who's touring with the show and the local crew at the theater there are all fantastic. And we certainly wouldn't have gotten through it as quickly and as efficiently if they if they hadn't all been interested in being a part of it. Right. So. And get, getting it solved. Right. That's, yeah. That's always good on them. Yeah. Um, we had another interesting um, <laughs> round of some tech support from way back when we were, uh, again, kind of communication gap issues, which are always uh, just make for good stories, if nothing else. Um, we had a customer who was um, on the on a cruise ship. And they were having connectivity problems with Ethernet. Um, they had a, uh, and so we were kind of running through the whole mill of problems that could be, you know, could be causing Ethernet connectivity problems, which are kind of the bane of, of our existence as a, with a system that runs on Ethernet. Um, you know, connectivity problems are hateful. You know, once they start up, you know, they're trying to tra- track down exactly where the, Connection is getting lost is uh, tricky to, at best. Um, but after probably the better part of a week or two of kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, we got a new technician on the phone who called and said, look, I'm just, you know, I, I've been left behind. I felt so bad for this guy. He's like, I've been left behind to make this work. Like everybody else is gone. The guys here, you know, the, the company that originally installed all this is, has left and I am now stuck to make this work. He's like, and I'm kind of looking into this and I'm just curious if you have any advice for me. Cause what they did is they installed a, um, a cable retractor that they're running the ethernet through. And it's like a 50 foot cable retractor and it's all non twisted pair of wire. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, Oh no. He's like, and, I'm, and luckily this guy was, uh, you know, he wasn't so much of an automation guy, but he was definitely, IT savvy. And he's like, so I've been testing speed throughput on this network link. And he's like, and without your equipment in there at all, just testing the throughput on the system, you know, I've got like a gigabit uh, switch that, and I'm trying to pump through and I'm getting like less than 10 megabit through. And he's like, oftentimes I'm dropping into like the kilobit range on this <laughs> link. He's like, cause there's just so many packets getting dropped. Um, and, and they weren't just sending our, our our spike mark signal through they were like trying to run video video through this. it yes and which is how he got interested of course was because he was he was trying to figure out why none of his video was working on this through this link that the scene shop had installed and the cable retractor was just i mean the cable retractor a was not also was just like a regular carbon brush cable retractor so uh, kind of dicey for um, that kind of data connection. You know, you probably really want to be using gold brushes or mercury or something to, you know, with a, uh, a better a better electrical connection, just physical electrical connection. And then uh, you certainly want to be using twisted pair of wire um, over that because the amount of interference and uh, that you'll get on non-twisted pair. Uh, will be extreme as this guy, I mean, like this is like in the flesh. It's like, not just, it's not just something you read about in books. Like this really, 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 really matters. And, uh, not having the right cable. Um, but what was funny was that over weeks of like trouble, trying to troubleshoot this, uh, connection issue, like it just never dawned <laughs> no, to say are. like, Oh yeah, by the way, we're running everything over this incredibly dodgy, uh, cable retractor with the wrong cable, but that can't be the issue. Right. <laughs> no no it's totally plugged in it's no problem yeah, yeah. no problem yeah, no problem that, that it works solid. when i plug the computer right into it yeah mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah right it was it was definitely so, it was a long path to get there i'm uh i mean you know it was it was a little uh it was a little it was a little frustrating because we couldn't actually figure out what was going on and we couldn't recreate any problems i suppose if we had a 50 foot cable retractor with non-twisted pair. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. We could have done it probably on the first day. Um, right. But, <laughs> and it's, I mean, I, I find myself doing this when I'm on the other end of a tech support issue, you know, that you kind of get, you have a preconceived notion of what you are convinced is the problem already. And you only provide information that supports that position rather than like, tell me everything, you know, like <laughs> tell me the whole away. chain, like what is it from here to here? If from, Mm-hmm. The start to the end um and so it's it's easy to do but it's uh it's important to kind of take a step back and like yeah get everything get everything in there <laughs> so 
Anyway, for anyone who's out there who might be uh, thinking about using a cable retractor, definitely make sure that you have good contacts. Uh, you know, you want to you know, probably gold at least contacts on your slip rings, and then uh, definitely yeah. if you're using any data that demands twisted pair like encoder signals or Ethernet, make sure you use that. And then <laughs> use a cable that's rated for retraction too. Uh, you want to make sure that you're using not just a regular cable like IGUS, you know, IGUS. Um, and Olflex are two manufacturers that make uh, cable that's rated for um, that kind of movement. Uh, most cables will mm. break down after um, a certain number of cycles of being coiled and uncoiled, coiled and uncoiled. Uh, so yeah. you want to make sure you get a, a good quality cable that's meant to do the job you're asking it for. <laughs> Electricity <Ooh>. matters. <laughs> so anyway, so those are those are some some. Old but good uh, troubleshooting stories from the front. Yeah. Um, in the world of products, though, we uh, had some. We've been doing a lot of product development, and um, some of it we'll be talking more about it in weeks to come. Uh, but one that's actually out in the wild and uh, being used these days is the new trick line. Um, yeah, the new trick line design is really slick, and the trick line in of itself is a slick concept from the beginning, and now we've just made it better. Right. Just made it better. Yeah, we kind of took a we took a step back and looked at the trick line and said, well, you know, it's never been a our most popular machine, uh, to say the least. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a result, I've kind of it's been kind of an ugly uh, stepchild in our product lineup uh, for a long time. And uh, so, but we said, you know, look, it's actually not a it's actually a good, useful machine. It just has a few key design flaws uh, from the design. Way back when, in 2011, um, you know, it was uh, it needed a, it needed a little spruce up. It needed somebody to you know take a little another technical technical refresh, right? Look at the mechanics, and then the other thing we saw as a real problem, I think, was that the price was just too high. It's uh, it's too expensive for what it is, and uh, so we we attacked both things. Um, technically, I think that the one of the bigger issues on it was that. Um, as originally designed, the, the trick line is a linear actuator. So it's like made of a spine of 80-20 aluminum extrusion. And then we glom on a motor um, and we use a linear bearing that rides on the 80-20 track. Um, and the motor has a belt that wraps around the 80-20 uh, and drags the bearing back and forth. Um, so it's like a it's a lot like a, I mean, a, it's a lot like a, a lot of other belt actuators out there. Other people make belt actuators similarly. Um, or it's also a lot like a uh, pneumatic cable cylinder in my head. I always think of it kind of like that. Like a, it's an electric version of a pneumatic cable cylinder. Um, and so it's, you know, you buy it and we cut the track to whatever length that you're going to need uh, and then mount the motor on there, mount the, belt the timing belt on there and put some brackets on there so you can uh, attach it to your scenery um it's got limit switches got an encoder plugs right into a stagehand all that good stuff but the original design the belt actually went all the way around the 8020 track so on the top of the track it connects to the bearing but then on the bottom of the track it passed under the bottom of the um 8020 track so we had to build these kind of funky brackets uh to stand it up so that <laughs> so that you could uh, attach it to your scenery and not you know crush the belt that's moving beneath it, and then you also have this kind of moving belt just hanging out there, which is not like not great. I mean, good opportunity for things to get caught in the belt or uh, dirt, or for the belt to get damaged, etc. So the uh, we fix that by making the belt now pass; it slips through the center of the. Um, extrusion. So it's a, a much cleaner, much tighter package um, that also allows the bottom of the 8020 track, the extrusion has a T-slot in the bottom that you can use to to fasten it to your scenery. And we it ships with some brackets on there, but you can also just grab it with whatever you want. Put anything in there. It'll certainly, certainly would have made mounting it a little easier on that project we used the original design for earlier this summer. <laughs> right, right, right. Because we used it at the armory. Yeah, yeah. it would have been nice. It would have been nice. Yeah, but it worked but, great as a track machine. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was pretty cool. And the other yeah. thing that was fun about that project, about touching the trick line again, was uh, <laughs> this time we designed it in Fusion 360. Um, you know, traditionally we've been designing machines all in SolidWorks, um, but this was our first time giving Fusion 360 a crack. And um, we've both done a fair amount of work in it these days. Yeah. And it's pretty nice, right? It definitely is. Um, I mean, you know, I think I've said this before. I'm not, I'm pretty new to the 3D modeling world and whether it's SolidWorks or Fusion, or, but, <clears throat> um, but it, it is, it is much easier to have, I don't know, more than one person at one computer open a file and not yeah. have the whole thing disintegrate in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a few really awesome features about Fusion 360. I mean, one is that, like you mentioned, the distributed design. So um, yeah. you can have uh, multiple people invited to the project, um, and it's very easy um, I mean, with you in New York and me in Rhode Island, and then we've got designers in Connecticut, designers in L.A. Uh, that are all working on different projects uh, to, for everyone to have easy file management like that. File management yeah. in SOLIDWORKS is just a pain, um, yeah. and especially remote, you know, when, you, when designers start to be remote. Um, that sucks. There's, yeah. some really, there's, some really great, there's some really great live review session that you can do also with it. Even if there are multiple collaborators, you can also, they, you can create this live review moment and have one, or I say, I guess multiple people all look at the same design at the same time and move it around and each have their, you know, each person can take their turn to spin the model around, take a look at things, zoom in and out, leave notes. It's, um, it's a very cool and I think very powerful, uh, very powerful collaboration tool at the end in the design process. Absolutely. And then for sharing files, uh, like with people who aren't using CAD at all, like who aren't using Fusion, aren't using SolidWorks, aren't using anything. Just send you, a link. <laughs> yeah, you can just send a link. And then there's an online viewer that uh, they can spin around. So like with our graphics designers who are uh, helping us with like the silkscreen layouts on some of the electrical enclosures and stuff, they can see the model, even though they're not, you know, the graphics folks that don't usually deal with 3D stuff, they can get a sense of like, oh, that's what the electrical box looks like. And this is what my, this is what my graphics are going to look like on there and yeah. stuff, which is really sweet. And I, yeah, I think all of those collaboration tools are fantastic. And um, the other thing I really like about it is that the, in the modeling world, there's kind of two major modes of, designing stuff then they referred to as either top-down design or bottom-up design where in top-down design you're really creating most of the componentry like you're machining new parts you're designing the parts to fit the uh the use of the machine and then in bottom-up you're taking stock components and assembling them uh to to make a machine and then usually you're kind of somewhere between the two in real life, right? Like you, you buy yeah. some parts, you make some parts, and then you, you're driving the entire design by um, some concept that you're developing. Um, and Fusion does an awesome job at top-down design, where you, which is what we do. We kind of lean heavier towards that way than bottom-up. I mean, we definitely use some stock components. Um, but we're traditionally like kind of starting with a concept, like we want to make a winch, <laughs> and it wants to be roughly this big. And we want to make the drum move. And so we kind of capture that in, in some sketches inside Fusion and then develop all of the componentry to make that work. And uh, Fusion is very easy. Anyone who's familiar with 3D design software, you, you sketches are, are an integral part of the design process where you kind of pick a plane or a face of, of a 3D object and then you draw on it as a sketch and then you derive some geometry, three-dimensional geometry, off of that sketch. And it's in SolidWorks, you kind of you have to be very, very careful about where you sketch and where you know which part you're inside of when you sketch, or if you're doing it in the whole assembly. And things get tangled up really quickly if you don't have a good strategy for how <laughs> you're going to contain all of these sketches and where they're going to live and everything. And Fusion's a lot more liberating. You just kind of yeah. go in there and design stuff. And everything's captured in your design history. Um, and because all of the componentry really lives 
where it, I guess I should back that up one step and say that in auto uh, or in SolidWorks rather, you're really d every part, like every screw, nut, bearing, plate, whatever is a part in, and each part is its own file in the SolidWorks design. Um, and in Fusion, you can have multiple files combined into a single design, but the more often you're just it's one file. It, which feels a lot more like AutoCAD or Vectorworks in its kind of con concept of like, we're just going to, we're going to get in here and we're going to start drawing stuff. And yeah, there'll be components in that file, objects in that file, but it's just all captured in one file. Um, yeah. So it's a little different than, than having a whole parts library that you're pulling from, you know, in on some, on a network drive or network yeah. storage. Um, you can still have the library and copy that in, but it becomes a it then becomes its own its own object in your design. Right. <clears throat> One of the really cool pieces that that I have found is right inside you can insert a part from McMaster. And so you can just click on the insert McMaster and it pops open a little web page and you find your piece and you scroll down to where you know it's a, anybody who's familiar with it you can pull all these drawings and files 2D 3D and you can just pull in a 3D file and you're done right you are like oh i need a 3 and 3 quarter inch hex bolt <clears throat> boom right <clears throat> and it sounds it sounds almost lazy to say like that that that's so much easier than like downloading it to a download file and then like moving the file around <sighs> but it it just it makes it flow right it, yeah. it makes it lets you stop worrying about like file management while you're really into the machine, while you're really yeah. thinking about how the machine works, you can just focus on that. And it take, removes some friction from the process. It's really slick. It is. The other thing that's, that, that I really like is the joint system, which if anyone's familiar with Inventor or SolidWorks, where you have uh, constraints um, or mates, depending on which thing you're, which, which other software you use, um, in mates, with mates and SolidWorks basically reduce the degrees of freedom one step at a time. So, like, if you're going to do a um, concentric mate, you know, it lines up the concentricity of two pieces, but they're still able to spin and slide um, as well. And this you have to start locking down bit by bit until you get exactly the right um, feature that you want or you know, range of motion that you want. And on the and Fusion kind of turns that on its head and says, no, instead you're going to pick a joint that allows only the freedom that you want. So you can do, for instance, like bolts, right? Yeah. Constraining bolts in any other piece of software is just a pain. It takes at least <laughs> at least two constraints or, or mates to make that work. Um, and it, as opposed to Fusion where you can put a what they call just a rigid joint. So you can grab a, a bolt head and flop it onto a um, hole with a rigid joint and it'll lock it right there. And if you want something, that's and that's it and you're done, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> it's finished. Now move on to the next thing. And if you want a slider joint, like for a linear rail, there's a slider joint. Um, there's revolute joints for, for bearings and shafts. And then there's slide and rotating joints. Um, anyway, it's, it, it's just way faster because you don't have to pick multiple mates to, for every piece that you're trying to constrain. Uh, which is great. Yeah, and it's and it's very intuitive. Like the mm -hmm. whole the whole software package, whether it's joints or whether it's you know the push pull uh, extrude idea. You know, it just you just pick two you pick two pick two pieces of geometry and 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 hit joint. Right. <laughs> and it, I don't know, ninety five percent of the time, ninety six percent of the time, it just does the thing that you want it to do. Right. <laughs> Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, and at first it's a little stunning because the, the screen seems kind of sparse. Like there's not very many tools when you start up, which is actually a, also a relief. Like if you're the kind of person that only does this occasionally or you put it down for a while and come back, that it's not this enormous array of tools. But that looks initially like it's, you know, like Fisher Price Cat, right? Like, like it's like, oh, it's not going to have all the tools I'm going to need, you know? And then you get into it, and like, a, the tools are much more versatile than in other packages, and b, there's, it's always there. Like, you know, you dig a little deeper, and there's a solution for what you're trying to do, and usually it's faster than what you're used to doing. Um, 
which I admire in software. Yeah. <laughs> I like elegant, simple software. So, it's cool. And, and I mean, who can beat the price? <laughs> the price is ridiculous. <laughs> it's three hundred dollars per year per user, and you can set up a you know like if you're a company, you can set up a company account and buy a bunch of licenses, and then dole them out to people as you need to, um, or as an individual. You can you can pay the three hundred bucks a year for your own account, or um, I think for I don't remember what the restrictions are on use, but there's also free um, licenses as well um, yeah. for for certain uses. So no no nothing stopping you. I mean it's you know for the amount that we use the number of features we use in SolidWorks, um, this is an incredible value because um, we you know it fits our tool set of what we need very well. And if anyone's interested in getting getting into that, I would heartily recommend taking a look at at Autodesk's Fusion 360. So it's pretty great software. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. <clears throat> and the and, lat, yeah, yeah, the cam feature. <laughs> right. I mean, I think you know Steve is Steve is busy making making cut files for the Tormach and just making it happen. Right. It's, that is so cool. Like that, all of the cam is integrated into uh, Fusion 360, which is nice. It'll do four-axis cam uh, for you, which is pretty great. Um, it's also really nice just that now all of your again the, the entire design of the machine is captured in this one file. So all of your cam is in the same design file. You just have these different modes that you change through. So um, you kind of design it in the modeling view and then if when you're ready to actually machine it out of metal you know flip to the cam mode and now you pick you know you describe how are we going to make this piece and then from there you know you output your g-code load it up on your machine and make the part you designed half an hour ago yeah it's it's so amazing and the cam <laughs> is so much nicer than what we were using before too <laughs> it is like which is nuts when you think about the money we were you know how much we spent both on SolidWorks and our other CAM program um, versus what you get. It's uh, it's stunning. Like, not only is it cheaper, but it's way better, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool stuff. So, anyway, if anyone's out there kind of thinking about doing their next machine design, I would definitely take a look um, and and give it a whirl because it's, it's pretty cool software. And there's some pretty good resources out there for learning it. Um, no books or anything if you're a book kind of person that that's lacking, which I am a book kind of person. And I, I wish there was a good fusion 360 uh, book, but there are a lot of, uh, a lot of tutorials out there and the documentation is definitely getting better and better and better. Um, the other, I mean, not only the documentation, but the program itself is getting better rapidly. Like every yeah. week, every week it's making huge improvements, huge yeah. changes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it's, it's pretty good stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's it. You got anything else, Mike? No, no. I think that's enough for, you know, the last two and a half months or something. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we'll see everybody again in another three or four months or something. Yeah. We'll, Christmas. We'll try. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for everyone. Uh, thanks to everyone who has uh, hung in there and waited for this episode. And thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the show, please rate it on, on iTunes and tell your friends. It's the best way for people to find the show. If you have things you'd like us to talk about next time and don't mind waiting, uh, send us an email uh, to podcast at creativeconnors.com, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>